The Living Traditions Festival is back Friday, May 17th through Sunday, May 19th at Washington Square Park in downtown Salt Lake City. You will find a global food court, live music, performances, art, workshops, Bohemian Brewery, and stuff for kids. Full disclosure, this is my favorite Salt Lake Festival. For details and to see the full program, visit livingtraditionsfestival.com or find them on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. The Ogden Music Festival kicks off on Friday, May 31st and is absolutely one of Utah's hidden gems. The fest brings a great weekend lineup to Fort Buenaventura, a 26-acre park that feels wild in the middle of Ogden City. You can camp for the weekend or just drop in for a day. Kids under 16 get in free, and tickets start at 25 bucks. See Molly Tuttle and Golden Highway, Las Cafeteras, and so much more at Ogden Music Festival. Tickets at OFOAM.org. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. Only two weeks remain of Utah's annual legislative session. So what's on the docket this week in the realm of water, booze, and potty training? Plus, an update on the whole Natalie Klein situation. Executive producer Emily Means is here to share the news. It's Friday, February 16th. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Good morning, boss. I have breaking news for you. Good morning, Allie. (laughs) Hit me. Salt Lake was not ranked one of the top 10 cities to walk your dog, according to Lawn Starter. We lost to New York City and Las Vegas, and I think this is humiliating. Wow. Yes, Lawn Starter, that storied and trusted (laughs) news source. (laughs) You've heard of Oxford University, but have you heard of Lawn Starter? Okay, here's the piece of this that I actually think is interesting, because mostly I think these kinds of like wallet hub, lawn starter, et cetera, studies are silly. But they looked at 480 major cities in the U.S. to determine which were the best place to walk your dog. And for access, we ranked 12th in terms of like access to trails, access to like places to take your dog. But we ranked 453rd out of 480 for safety of our streets. Oh, interesting. And that's where I'm like, again, we know we have more dogs than children now in Salt Lake City. And like one of the things that makes people want to move here is that we have access to this kind of daily recreation. And it's so interesting to see that like, yeah, but it's less safe to recreate in our streets than Las Vegas? Girl, The the streets aren't even for the dogs. Interesting. I'm very curious, like, how they figured out this ranking. Like, what were the variables? You know, they have all these different categories and they're looking at, they're probably looking at traffic. I don't know. Maybe they're using the Sweet Streets traffic, like, Uh fatality map. But yeah, they're assessing all kinds of stuff. I thought it was kind of interesting. Mostly, I wanted us to be able to open with something with a little more charm than our girl Nat Nat Klein has, because we do have an update on the Natalie Klein debacle, which we discussed in our Wednesday news roundup. I will link that in the episode description if you want the 
fuller backstory than we're going to give today. But basically, this is a Utah State Board of Education member who uh, decided to bully a 16-year-old girl, a high school basketball player, on the internet and is now facing swift backlash Mm -hmm. as you get when you are anyone, but namely a public figure who's sworn to protect children and invest in their well-being and education, and you decide to incite basically mob violence against a child online. Yeah, it got ugly. And so this week, I mean, since we last spoke about this uh, on Wednesday, the Utah State Board of Education voted to remove member Klein from her committee assignments. They voted to prohibit her from getting new committee assignments, prohibit her from placing items on agendas, and from attending board advisory committee meetings. So I don't know. Is that basically all of her duties? I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, that's everything the board can do. That's everything that's currently within their power. Yeah. And they also asked her to resign immediately. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, she has accused the board of (laughs) election interference. What an interesting twist. She says the board's investigation and actions could potentially be seen as an endorsement of her primary opponent. And she wondered, you know, if the timing of this was suspect. I guess the Salt Lake County GOP convention is coming up pretty soon, like in the next couple of months. It's within 60 days, which is why she's saying it's, you know, quote unquote, against the law. Right. And the board basically said your concerns actually do not apply here. They have no merit, uh, according to the law. Oh, okay. Natalie Klein has done the most Natalie Klein thing here ever, which is that she is now claiming she is the victim and she is being harassed by the Utah State Board of Education, of which she is a member. And I think that that is just like such a, I mean, such an iconic playbook, right, for someone who deals in hypocrisy. To her, I would say buckle in because what you have ahead of you is so much more retribution. Mm, mm. Pack a water bottle. Like, the lawsuits haven't even begun. Right, right. And on the legislative end of things, because, you know, we also discussed that the legislature could potentially take some action to impeach her. They have the power to do that. Well, Allie, uh, they didn't do that. So, Which is so wild because the one thing we heard from Speaker of the House Mike Schultz on this was, quote, doing nothing is not an option. Well, and I guess they didn't do nothing. So on Thursday afternoon, the House and Senate jointly censured and condemned Natalie Klein. And basically what this is, is a formal disapproval of her by the legislature. So let me tell you a little bit more about what this slap on the wrist. Exactly. What this resolution said, and this resolution was sponsored by Representative Robert Spendlove. He's a Republican from Sandy. Basically, they wanted to strongly condemn uh, member Natalie Klein's social media post and um They wanted to really send a message, they said, that bullying is not tolerated here in this state. And like the discussion around this resolution was really emotional, Allie. Some tears were shed uh, over, you know, what this student experienced at the hands of Natalie Klein and her followers. 
Um, and what Spendlove said is that Natalie Klein violated the public trust and undermined the mission of the school board with her actions. So, you know, some pretty, pretty strong sentiments there. Yeah, the vote was taken. There were two nays to censuring Natalie Klein, which, again, just means a formal slap on the wrist on behalf of the legislature. And I think it's worth noting that one of those nays came from Representative Phil Lyman, who is currently a candidate for the governor of the state of Utah. So make note of that. Um, But I thought one of the things was really interesting was Representative Spendlove, after the vote was taken, uh, took a little time on the floor to kind of close things out. And one thing he said was, I want to address the question of why we're not impeaching Natalie Klein. Mm -hmm. And we're doing that. We're not doing that because we don't want to give her more attention. And what she seeks is attention. And um, so we should basically pass this resolution and we should move on and Basically, like my read on it was like, not talk about this again. Um, And he said, you know, this is really, which is something we've heard from leaders in the past, like this is really an issue about social media. And our legislature is very focused on passing a number of bills that take up the problem of social media and social media behavior. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, okay, so this is it. This is the whole plan. This is all we're going to get. And I mean, listen, if he wanted to, we would, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what mm-hmm. Democrats were saying. Uh-huh. That's what Democrats were saying. After this uh, after this resolution passed, Ali, House Democrats had a little press conference because they said that they wanted to start the impeachment process. Hmm. But debate on the floor was capped pretty quickly. They decided to just kind of move on and vote on this resolution and send it over to the Senate. And so uh, House Minority Leader Angela Romero, who's a Democrat from Salt Lake City, says they didn't get the chance. They didn't get the chance to even talk about uh, whether impeachment was the right thing to do. And, you know, I saw the discussion on Twitter after Twitter, where all good discussions happen. Yeah. And some people were like, well, if they impeach her, they'll make her a martyr, kind of like what Robert Spenlove was saying there. But uh, Representative Brian King said, well, by not impeaching her, she can just continue on with her nonsense in this position. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a a double-edged sword, I suppose. I mean, and this resolution went to the Senate where I kind of thought Senator Lucesca Mia was going to introduce there the idea of impeaching but she didn't and one of the comments that she gave to reporters was or was it on the floor was that um she hopes that this sends a strong message that homophobia and transphobia are not tolerated in the state of utah and i gotta be honest like analysis on the action that's been taken by the people with the most power to do something here i don't know that it sends a strong message that we don't tolerate transphobia and homophobia in the state of utah i think the theme one of the themes of this legislative session is that We do. But I don't know. With that said, Emily, I just have to offer this. I'm really torn on this. I would like to see Natalie Klein sidelined entirely from this role. And she has been in many ways sidelined by the Utah Board of Education with all the action that they took, which was basically everything in their power. Um, But I don't know if I like the precedent of the legislature or the governor being able to remove a school board member quickly or that they don't like. We know that our legislature can be vindictive when they're in the mood. Never forget the story of Utah Lake. And I think like it is an uncomfortable precedent for me, given how much distrust I have sometimes in their process. So mm-hmm. and 
It does seem like, uh, you know, there's a really high bar for impeachment, but we don't know like what that bar is like right. what rises to the occasion for the legislature I guess we'll never know I mean Sean Reyes is still in office so like Natalie Klein's gonna stay in office and and you know as Senator Todd Weiler said let the voters decide and that they will do maybe sooner than later she's got to get through convention but we'll see what happens on the note though of what legislators are up to let's talk about some of the bills we are obsessed with this week there are just two weeks left in utah's legislative session thank god we are the finish line is in sight this is the home stretch and if we're saying that you can only imagine how <laughs> reporters who's who are dawn to dusk on the hill covering this session are feeling and it's it's interesting because normally they kind of cram a lot of the like mm-hmm. big controversial or juicy stuff into the end of the session. It feels like they flipped the switch a bit this yeah. year. We saw really controversial, really hot button bills in the first like days of the session. And now with two weeks left, I'm kind of looking at the agenda and wondering what they have time to even come up with between now and then and what mm. we might see that's not kind of business as usual legislating. So Hmm. I will never, ever, ever underestimate their prowess or their savvy in terms of getting through what they want to get through. But it does feel like in that way, it's been kind of an inverted session. Right. No, it's usually like slow down and then speed up. This time around, it was uh, a sprint. And now we're kind of like in the in the casual, leisurely jaunt around (laughs) the park phase of the legislature. But you're right, Allie, like never underestimate the legislature's ability to surprise us. Yep. What are you hooked into this week, Emily, bill-wise? You go first. Speaking of big, impactful legislation coming up at the end of the session, Mm -hmm. uh, we've got a big old water bill that I wanted to tell you about, Allie. Um, And what caught my eye is that Senate President Stuart Adams is sponsoring this bill. It is not very often that our two leaders, the Senate President and the House Speaker, you know, actually flex their muscles to sponsor legislation. And when they do, you should take note uh, because that means it's really important. So uh, this bill is uh, called Generational Water Infrastructure Investments. And here is what it does. Essentially, it creates a a state water commissioner and Uh a council that's made up of our state's four biggest water districts. And I don't have them off the top of my head right now. But these two bodies, the agent and and the council, will be tasked with exploring ways to bring more water into the state from other states. That is their main job, Allie. And that could look like many different things. Basically, President Adams said nothing is off the table. Um, I think people might remember the proposal to build a pipeline from the Pacific Ocean to import water (laughs) into the Great Salt Lake. Um, That seemed like a, you know, like a silly, a silly idea on its face. And BYU actually did a study that such a project would cost $300 million each year to operate. So it's just like, you know, financially inconceivable. But one thing President Adams is interested in is desalinating water from California and bringing it into the state. So basically, we would be investing to take the salt out of ocean water and bring that water to us to use. 
What? What do you think about that idea? I think similar to the idea of building a pipeline to the Pacific Ocean, it would require the compliance of surrounding states, which I can't imagine them wanting to play ball on that. Like, I can't imagine Governor of California Gavin Newsom being like, yeah, Senate President Stuart Adams, just come over here and and bring your buckets and take this water. Yeah. Wouldn't the desalinization plant need to be in California? Yes. Like, or you would transport it and then desalinate it here in Utah? It would be in California. And President okay. Adams says this is something that's already happening. What if, what I did. if we just used less water? Okay, okay. That's what people are asking. That's what environmental advocates are, of course, asking for. But the whole point of this bill, Allie, is to look for creative ways to continue to support life in this state going forward. And President Adams is really posing this as a 100-year vision for water use in the state. And, you know, you noted that we would have to, like, make good with California leaders for this to happen. That's the exact purpose of this commission and this particular state water agent. So... You know, I don't know. Like, we've dunked on California a lot (laughs) in our history as a state. And will they be willing to play ball with us? I'm not sure. But let me tell you really quickly, like, what the biggest concern is about this bill. (laughs) Um, This new commission would be exempt from public records and meetings laws. Oh, no. Mm -mm. And so, you know, they would be meeting in secret to figure out ways to bring new water into the state. And uh, people are really pissed about that, Allie. I think probably rightfully so. Um, But what President Adams said is that conversations around water are highly sensitive by nature. And so they need to be able to speak freely for us to kind of figure out, you know, what sort of ideas we should be bringing to the table. And then once the commission has an idea, there will be a public vetting when they present them to the legislature. So that's the main concern with this bill. And that's that's that. It's so strange to me because again tinfoil hat on like the legislature loves an expensive infrastructure project because often developers property owners like the kind of people that tend to make up the legislature are set to benefit from very expensive very involved like infrastructure projects um but we got a press release just a couple hours before taping this from the utah division of water resources that statewide our reservoirs are at an quote-unquote, impressive 82% of capacity. A year ago, this time, they were less than 50% full. So, like, we're not in a state of drought right now. It seems like a really good time to be exploring, I don't know, like, the Occam's razor of solutions, right? Like, the, the simplest the simplest things, like having conversations about consumption and having conversations about, like, how we use water. And, like, if we're making a 100-year plan in terms of what it looks like to live in the West under its impending, if not already happening, aridification, then, like, we should be talking about lifestyle. Hmm. I don't know that, like, our 100-year plan should be desalinating water from the Pacific Ocean. (laughs) Like Mm. that just feels so out of touch with this moment. And it's so ironic because it's like, I'm sitting here saying that, but I don't really have the power to make that determination. And so at the end of the day, 
we're just we'll all just be down here grasping at straws. Uh, well, and listen, Allie, I mean, I think that, you know, obviously you and environmental advocates are in the same boat here, right? Mm-hmm. Like we heard some folks uh, in the committee hearing saying, why aren't we focused more on on conservation, you know? But like I said, this bill is interesting because the Senate president is sponsoring it. And because of that, uh, it will become law. So this is a thing that we are going to be exploring, regardless of what environmental advocates want. Um, So this is where we're headed. Whenever posture comes up in conversation, we all do that thing where we immediately sit upright and pull our shoulders back. Did you do it just now? I did a movement session with Chandler at Embodied Patients, and after a few gentle corrections, I was surprised to find sitting up straight is incredibly easy. Chandler's practice combines over a decade of study in yoga, Pilates, and the Alexander Technique. So why should you invest in your posture? Let's start with the link between better posture and better breathing. Whether you're returning to activity from an injury, looking to manage pain, or just have the sense things could be a little easier, Chandler will teach you to create sustainable movement habits so that you can enjoy the things you love for longer. Maybe that's running marathons. Maybe it's walking the dog. Visit embodiedpatients.com to book a session with Chandler and give yourself the gift of your own attention. Spring is when leases expire, and if you're looking for a new or better apartment situation, here's the scoop at Ico Fort Union. Fort Union is Ico's newest build in Cottonwood Heights off 1300 East and 6720 South. And as they say in real estate, location, location, location. Ico Fort Union puts you 10 minutes from the mouth of Big Cottonwood Canyon and central to all the Fort Union shops and restaurants, but the complex is located on a dead-end street, so you get peace. Ico Fort Union offers studio, one, two, and three-bedroom apartment homes, plus these very cool three-bedroom work-live apartments, so if you're starting something new, you can live above your business space. Amenities include a pet spa, a spin loft, a bike hub, and EV charging stations. And they are signing leases right now. So visit liveatfortunion.com for a tour. Okay, I feel like the bill I want to talk about this week is kind of similar and that it's like a kind of big bill that's trying to address a lot of things at once. The legislature is currently writing its annual omnibus liquor bill. Mm -hmm. And I have to confess, more than two years into doing this podcast, I this morning Googled, what does omnibus mean? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And it is one, for anyone who doesn't know, like me, I I had a suspicion, but I wasn't sure. It's when a bunch of small and loosely related bills are basically squished together into one big bill. So this is our everything booze all at once. And we're starting to get a peek at what it could look like. And the kind of top line here is... Reducing the one in 10,200 population quota for bar Mm -hmm. licenses, which is a completely arbitrary number that was implemented in 2018 that we're kind of still living with. It's the big reason we have so limited liquor licenses in this state. 
And the implications of us having limited liquor licenses are numerous. But the big one is that when the Department of Alcoholic Beverage Services goes to issue those licenses, they really only issue them to businesses that are ready to open their doors like that day because they don't want to waste a minute with a license just sitting there unused or underutilized. The problem is for a business to be ready to open your doors and sitting around waiting for your liquor license very expensive. It makes the already expensive pursuit of opening a bar or restaurant way more expensive and way more frustrating. So what they're looking at doing is adding 100 bar licenses and 200 full-service restaurant licenses to our pot over the next five to seven years, which is honestly not that impressive to me if you look at our state and like our county and city's expected population growth over the next five to seven years I kind of don't think that like in that time span we're really gonna feel this changing number of bar licenses because our population is going to be growing to kind of meet that demand um, and shifting right like it's going to be shifting we already know that like this is no longer, for example, a majority of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who famously don't drink. Like, there's so much that's changing, it feels like faster than this proposal. But why wouldn't we literally just do it as soon as this bill passes, as I assume it will? I don't understand. <laughs> because, Emily, <laughs> drinking is bad for you, and there's a lot of anxiety around oh, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And, like, as someone who visited every bar in Salt Lake County last year, I'm not here to argue with the idea that, like, that drinking isn't necessarily, like— good for you, right? Like, I mean, I think like a glass of wine every now and then is very good for me personally, (laughs) but like, um, yeah, I mean, this, not a doctor, but (laughs) right. And for context, like what does a hundred bar licenses look like? Okay. In Salt Lake County, just Salt Lake County, there are currently about 212 bars. So, so that would increase our statewide quota by half the number of bars that currently exist in Salt Lake County. Uh If that sounds too good to be true, and I feel like I've laid it out in a way that it doesn't necessarily, but here's kind of the trade-off. And this this gets into addressing your question of like, why the anxiety? Well, there is this sense that like when we make alcohol more accessible, there's fear that it will become more accessible to minors, to people who can't self-manage their drinking, that it will increase car accidents and all these other things. Does the data support those assertions? That's an interesting question, and that feels like a whole different CityCast Salt Lake Mm -hmm. episode. But the kind of quote-unquote trade-off in exchange for more licenses in this bill would be we'd get three more full-time compliance positions in the State Bureau of Investigation. Compliance officers are basically like they – you know, visit gas stations to make sure they're displaying alcohol properly or grocery stores. They might visit bars to make sure that they've got, you know, their liquor can be locked up or that mm-hmm. they're using the pouring things correctly or whatever. In the simplest terms, more policing. Right? Got it. Got it. Um, and then they're also considering this program called the Place of Last Drink, which is a program that's been implemented in other states. It was implemented in Minnesota and actually a 2022 study from the University of Minnesota that was pointed out by um, the Salt Lake Tribune found that in a decade of using this program, there was little evidence that it led to reductions in traffic crashes, which is sort of the goal of it. But what it would do is say you are a patron of a bar and you leave that bar and you either get a DUI or you get in a car accident, you hurt someone. 
the place where you were drinking that night would be entered into a database. So mm-hmm. they would be keeping track of any correlation or in their mind causation between like this particular bar where you were drinking and the fact that you were then reckless and dangerous in the streets. And if the same bar starts to rack up a lot of incidents, then they would be subject to increased scrutiny. Okay. Whatever that means. I mean, I would argue that like it seems almost impossible to subject our bars and full service restaurants to more scrutiny than they are. It is. Oh, man. Talk to any bar owner and they're like, man, why did I get into this in Utah? Yeah, Yeah. well, do you know what would probably help reduce DUIs more is more neighborhood bars that you can walk to. I'm into that. I'm into that. I agree with that. And one of the biggest prohibitors of that is that, you know, there's also rules about where you can build a bar, whether it can be proximal to a school or a church and things like that. So, I mean, we have a long way to go before this city looks like a lot of other cities that match our population and like demographics, I think, in terms of drinking. And it's interesting to hear even Tiffany Clayson, the new head of the Department of Alcoholic Beverage Services, who's kind of ushered in a bit of a new era in tandem with Governor Cox on on kind of how we approach alcohol. Not a new, new era, but a new-ish era. Um, you know, kind of point to the idea that this might be bad for business. Mm-hmm. Like alcohol sales is one of the largest revenue generators in our state government. Uh for example, $60 million from alcohol sales in 2023 funded our state's school lunch program. Like, right. you know, it's kind of good for business yeah. to let bars bar. Well, and do you know what, Allie? I just had this thought. That five to seven year timeline makes a lot sen- a lot more sense if you're thinking the only reason they're doing this is because of the Olympics that are yeah, in 10 years, right? Baby. Like, they're saying, okay, we hear you. We realize the number of bar licenses per capita is arbitrary. But we're going to address this later on when, you know, when we actually have to address it. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. And I have a feeling this bill will pass. Like, it usually, this is just the way it goes. It usually cruises through. There might be some tweaks or changes, but frankly, based on, like, how the legislature operates around alcohol, the way I'm looking at this feels very passable. Yeah. Okay. Allie, I have one more bill for you that we can uh, run through real quick. This bill is called School and Classroom Amendments, but uh, I'm referring to it as the potty training bill. And uh, it would require students to be potty trained before they attend kindergarten. And I don't have children, uh, but I just thought this was really fascinating. And I'm very curious what Mm. parents think about this bill. But the sponsor, Representative Doug Welton, who's also a teacher, actually, he he works in education. um, He says that he wrote this bill because he's heard from constituents whose teachers were basically ready to quit because they have to check their students' diapers. And they're like, that is not my job. Um, And so he poked around. He asked the state school board if this was a problem they're seeing widely. And they said, actually, more and more it is. There are more kindergartners coming in and 
not being able to use the bathroom themselves, and it's putting pressure on our teachers. So mm. basically, I mean, yeah, the, the core of the bill is if you're not potty trained, you can't start kindergarten. Uh, but these kids will work with school counselors for additional resources and support to get them where they need to be so that they can, you know, enroll in school. Uh, the bill also exempts kids with disabilities or other needs. And I think this is so interesting to me, Allie, because hmm. like the two perspectives here are both really valid, in my opinion. So yeah. on the one side, teachers are like, it's my job to teach, not to change diapers, right? Like, I already have enough responsibility. Our class sizes are too big. Um, and then on the other hand, you know, opponents of this bill are like, okay, but we're denying access to public education for kids. And that delay in learning is really detrimental. So yeah, this is an interesting bill to me. And um, I'm curious what other parents think about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like potty training usually happens between like two, three, maybe pushing into four years old. You have to be per Utah code at least five to enter school. So you would think that this would be a non-issue, but then I don't know. Like potty training just seems like such an emotional thing yeah. for a kid. Like I don't remember my experience with it nearly at all, but like bedwetting goes well into elementary school for a lot of kids. Like, right. yeah, this is a real toughie. Yeah, for sure. And because there's know, part of me that's like, is this government overreach? <laughs> like, <laughs> if I were to apply this lens to like other issues that are as sensitive as this and as like homebound as this, I think I would think that. But then the element of like, teachers being burdened in the classroom is right. intense. But I'm also really cynical because I'm like, oh, now the legislature is worried about overwhelming teachers in the classroom because right. y'all are also looking at, y'all have spent the past few years thinking through like these weird transparency bills, teachers having to post their curriculum online. Like it seems like every other time teachers are up at the Capitol being like, we are underpaid, overburdened. You are making our lives harder by saying what we can and can't teach, forcing us to considering criminal proceedings on us if you don't mm. like what is in our textbooks. Like, yeah. but now, but, but oh, but this, this is the issue where you suddenly are concerned with our time management. Right. And it was interesting because the sponsor was like, well, listen, there's been a lot of scrutiny uh, toward teachers recently. And yeah. basically, they are too scared to risk any sort of like interaction that could be seen as inappropriate. You know, like what if you need to change a kid or something like that? Mm. And what will mm -hmm. the parent think about that? And it's like, yeah. okay, cool. So you all have created this problem <laughs> like where the scrutiny, you, you are directing the scrutiny toward the teachers. And now what? You know, you're trying to account for that in some way. So yeah, this is a curious bill. But again, trans kids in public school are being told that they should make a plan with their teacher to determine which bathroom they should be using. So, like, if you hold that side by side to a teacher being asked to, like, make a plan with a parent for their kid who is struggling with 
something else that has to do with their like emotional vulnerability and sense of self. I just like, I know I'm a cynic, but I just am like, get out of my face with this. <laughs> Not so you, Emily. Bill. You say. Because <laughs> we have to Thanks. do pick of the week. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go first. Okay. My pick of the week is chlamydia. <laughs> I recently learned from Salt Lake County Health Department that 25% of people ages 15 to 20 in Salt Lake County have the sexually transmitted infection of chlamydia. Did you know that it is the most common STD among young women? I did not know that, Allie. I did not know that. If I had to guess, I would guess that it was genital herpes. But here we are. The number one symptom is no symptoms. And the health department says that you should get tested every time you have a new sexual partner or every three months. And so I guess my pick of the week is less chlamydia and more <laughs> getting tested, I was which say. you can do at the Salt Lake <laughs> County STD Clinic, which is at 6 South and 2nd East. The number to call to schedule a test is 385-468-4242. And in a moment of full transparency, I did it. <laughs> oh. Thank you for your service to yourself and your community, Allie. That's and I wonderful. think you should do it too. I think everyone, like based on what I'm reading here, basically any sexually active young person in this city and specifically young women should go get tested. So maybe this is the week for you. Happy Valentine's Day. That's great, Allie. I was going to say, I don't think you pick chlamydia. I think chlamydia picks you. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Can I share my pick of the week? Oh, yeah. Thanks. Okay, it's um, free services that you should know about. And one of those free services is our Hey Salt Lake newsletter. I think uh, people might not necessarily realize we have a sister daily newsletter. It's called Hey Salt Lake. Uh, our wonderful newsletter editor, Therina Ria, curates events and resources and news and it lands in your inbox every Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. And this week she put together a short list of free services you should know about everything from mental health resources to newspaper subscriptions. Yeah. And I just love that because I mean, I, I never think about those things. But I also, you know, if there's something free out there, I, I want to use it. Um, so I will link the article in our show description. And I'll also ask people if you know any more free resources, please let us know. You can email us at saltlake at citycast.fm and maybe we'll feature it in our newsletter. I love it. I am so often impressed with Therina's articles in the newsletter. There was a couple months ago a roundup of the best cheese fries in the city. I didn't know I needed to oh, know that. Yeah. I now think about it often. Um, she recently did like a kind of a now is the time to start planting your garden if you want to plant and grow things this spring. Um, she's Always on top of it. Always timely. Always a joy to read. Great way to start or wrap up the day. Agreed. With that, I will see you on Tuesday, Emily Means. Have a fantastic long weekend. I hope you get some rest. Thanks, Allie. See you Tuesday. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Our executive producer is Emily Means. Our producer is Ivana Martinez. Our newsletter editor is Terina Ria. And our host is me, Ali Vallarta. 
Music is by the local band Mitochondria. We sometimes use music from all the kimonos. Our team is off Monday because we just learned it's a federal holiday, but we will be back Tuesday morning with more from around this city. Have a great weekend.